is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, May 9th. Today, it's Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Kevin Sinclair, all from Irish Illustrated. As we talk a little bit of uh, Nordic recruiting, maybe some uh, position changes, briefly hit upon basketball, uh, but mostly football today. And we're going to start with Devin Houston, uh, the verbal commitment over the weekend. I, I, I love this guy because of his versatility. You can say DN, you can say three technique, you can probably say nose tackle as well. Kevin Sinclair, let's go to you first. Just your thoughts on the verbal commitment of of Devin Houston to Notre Dame. Yeah, I think just, you know, quick bit about his background. Of course, you know, grew up in Canada. He's from Mississauga, which is, you know, a big city of just under a million. So when you hear about these um, Canadians making it in college football and in college basketball, they're almost always from that Toronto, Mississauga, Brampton sort of area. That's where he's from. That's where his brother, who's going to be in the next NBA draft, is from. You know, but he hadn't been playing football for more than just like a year and a half, two years when he moved down to St. James about a year ago in Maryland. Um, And he's just, from what I understand, talking to his head coach, one of his teammates, just a workhorse. So he's the guy who is the last to leave the facility every day. He's the guy doing all this extra work. And I think that's how he rose so quickly. And what I, you know, Tim, you're talking about position fits in that. You know, first of all, he's a big guy and he can really, really move, right? Really athletic, kind of like surprisingly nimble on his highlight film. I had a look at some of his more workout type stuff and you really get to see it there. When he actually first got to St. James, he was a tight end. So, I mean, that tells you a bit about his uh, movement ability, but with his position fit, we were talking about this before, um, I was kind of saying to someone, you know, he's about that 6'5", ish at 270. You can tell with that huge frame, if he, he could get probably get up to 300 or 305. And if he gets to that, probably talking about three tech or nose. Um, but if he, you know, say trims down a bit and then builds up to, uh, you know, 270 to 280, maybe we're talking about a three tech strong side end, maybe, you know, play some big end and three man fronts. So he's going to be really interesting to see that way. And versatility is the name of the game these days along the D line. And he certainly has that. Tim, uh, what what are your thoughts on Devin Houston? Where he uh, where he probably ends up position wise? I like the idea of an athlete getting stronger to play inside rather than the other way around. I always have. Um, now there's an exception to the rule on the team. Riley Mills was a guy we thought really good athlete, great frame to move inside, flexible guy, and I think he's moving back outside and will be a better player. But the the notion of the notion of him slimming down is not as attractive to me as all of a sudden you having that type of athleticism and that motor inside. Um, And it's hard to find, it's harder to find guys inside that can do that for Notre Dame too. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, before we start recording, I I made the comment. I mean, it's hard trying to think of who I've said, you know, I like this guy a lot at, at strong side end. Oh, and he also could play nose tackle. I mean, you don't normally get that kind of combination. We're not talking about Viper, but uh, as far as big end, and then the ability to move a little bit closer to the football. I I love the idea long-term of him being a nose tackle. Yeah. Uh, but he and may stay a little bit slimmer. Undersized guys. Like you loved Howard Cross and thought, well, he's going to move from strong side end inside. You never thought he's going to move to nose tackle. And they've moved him out of there because he's not right. big enough. I don't think you're dealing with not big enough here. No, no, definitely yeah. not. I love it. I love his frame. I love his versatility. I love his motor. I, you know, I think at, at, I think he was rated like 192 compositely is probably a little bit 
underrated at that number. Uh, that's that's neither here nor there, but really, really, really like him. And in accordance with that, Kevin, I know that you've been writing about this, and I'm I, I'll probably be writing about it in Thursday thoughts. But just the the level of defensive line recruiting that's going on in Notre Dame right now is is incredibly impressive. Yeah, I, I think um, going into it, <clears throat> particularly at defensive end, I thought was really important because again, they could lose. Uh, Isaiah Foskey and Justin Ademolola if he doesn't uh, decide to return. Um, and then, you know, at the strong side end, you know, Riley Mills will be an upperclassman this year, you know, maximum probably two seasons more for him. So um, those were really important positions. They don't have a lot of like really good answers behind Mills too. I mean, last year they had to go to Myron Tegovola. So my point is um, Bubakar Treor, I think is, is really, really important piece of this class. And I think he's a, a perfect fit for that strong side end position. Um, you know, he's just got the the perfect body type and the the length and all of that. And then you have the number one weak side end in the country, right? And Keon Keeley, I think we all know what he's about. And then now they've really bolstered inside where Brendan Vernon initially was this like phenom freshman defensive end. He's like 280 pounds now at six five. So he's gonna be an inside guy. And then you bolster that with Devin Houston, who, again, like we've been saying, probably an inside guy, but he's very versatile, which is so important. So really impressive. And then, you know, if that were the class just right there, that would be a fantastic class. Star power at the top, like Keeley, Treor, like I said, very important for the reasons I, I mentioned. And now they could add a guy potentially in Jason Moore. And I actually think Notre Dame's most likely to land him right now. You know, six foot five. I actually heard he's he used to be two fifty five. His head coach told me he's two hundred and seventy pounds now. His head coach also told me that Notre Dame selling him on the idea of being a you know a large defensive end and playing larger defensive ends. They actually brought up Riley Mills when talking to his coach, saying, "Hey, you know, we have a two hundred and seventy two seventy plus defensive end right now. More could be that here." I mean, if you add more, you're talking about the best defensive class, defensive line class we've seen since, I don't know, the <laughs> 90s or something. It would be incredible. And so theoretically, you could say Treor and Jason Moore as the big defensive end. Uh, Brennan Vernon is a three technique. Houston, again, I, you know, Houston, I don't know if ultimately he's a nose tackle, uh, but but he'd be a really impressive one. And then Viper Keeley. So love what they're doing there. Um I don't know that this has, because it was tucked in my Thursday thoughts, I don't know that it's really been talked about a whole lot, but um, sources, multiple sources have told Irish Illustrated that the plan, I'm not saying that this is etched in, in granite, but the plan or the thought is that Zeke Corral was so impressive at center in the spring um, that they're looking at, at placing him back into the starting lineup at the center position where he was very good against Clemson and Alabama, which is a, which is a hell of a statement. That was from a couple of years ago. And then Jarrett Patterson returning from his injury and playing guard. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on that possibility. I mean, we were, we were on this notion for a while, right? Back in the day, last year as well. Well, I asked Harry, he stand about it when we interviewed him during yeah. the spring that could you move Patterson to guard? He downplayed it because Patterson was injured and he wanted yeah. Yeah, to get him some looks in in the spring, but I think they're going to go. They are going to go ahead and pull the trigger on this. It's if he's open. To, he, I mean, if he's open to it, 
that was the sticking point in the past a little bit, right? Wasn't complete. Yeah, it, it, you yeah. Know, Jared Patterson's the ultimate great teammate. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, I mean he just, yeah, he I'm is. not saying he wouldn't do it. I'm saying not being open to it. Like, eh, sure. I like that idea. Right. <laughs> it's not the right. not being open. Um, if Zeke Carell is, it's not only is Zeke Carell that much better than having Andrew Kristoffic is is the line that much better together with Zeke Carell and Jarrett Patterson and everything they can diagnose. And with Josh Log obviously being able to diagnose everything he's ever seen from the right side of the scrimmage. I mean, it, it makes total sense to me. You are not, you're not quite as big, I guess, is the drawback just because Carell's at center rather than Christophic's at guard, but it doesn't matter as much if he's at center, you know, you don't, you don't miss that as much. I don't think. And it's funny. We talked to Carell and he said, the one thing I've added most is strength and bulk and all that. And you ask him, he's like, yeah, I added five pounds. It's just never going to be, he's just never going to be a big enough guy to, no. to get, to get huge, but it doesn't matter as much in the pivot. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I think, <clears throat> I, I do think that size at center can be overblown a little bit. You see, there's a lot of very, very good 295 pound centers out there. You look back at like, I know it's a different era, but a guy like, like Dermotti Dawson and Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the best of all time. He was only 290, 295. Again, that was a long time ago, but anyhow, you know, if, if they feel like, you know, Coral can thrive at center for them, you know, Notre Dame, we, we know right now, simply put, they're they're great, borderline great at tackles. Joel, Blake Fisher, you know, they can be great at center between Patterson, Coral. They're not great at guard. It's good. You know, Notre Dame wants to have a great offensive line. If you can, you know, split that duo at center up, uh, you know, move Patterson over to guard. Um, then we're looking at an offensive line that can be, you know, borderline great at every spot across the board. And I know that just kind of thinking about how you'd handle that. I know someone had said to me before that you know, Patterson was considered like a football genius, you know, very, very intelligent guy who really understands the game. Well, I'm sure he'd handle that move. Well, you know, Coral's a senior this fall. I like everything about it. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, let's be fair. Andrew Christoffer is going to have something to say about this, of course. You know, this this summer and, and come August. So, uh, and I and I thought Christoffer, you know, as the second half of the season went on, he got better. And they don't win their last seven regular season games if Christoffer doesn't step forward with some other guys. So I want to be, I want to be fair to him. But the fact of the matter is, and I'm not sure that I've. I'm trying to think of a, another player who, and I'm talking about Zeke Carell here in that. He's really good at center. And then you move him over a spot mm -hmm. and he really, really struggled. And that's where, you know, that's where the lack of, of size hurts him because he has to, he has to, uh, to block on the move and he just doesn't have enough leverage when you move him out to the guard spot where mobility is a little bit more important. So we'll see what happens with that, but I think it's an interesting notion. Uh, you know, Patterson, you know, in, in, in speaking with Patterson, interviewing him, he talks about being the best center in the country. And so I think from that standpoint, you know, it, it would be a little bit disconcerting, but he's a captain. He's going to be a two-time captain. It and doesn't I think hurt that, his draft. No, it does not hurt his draft position. Center, so, now, I mean, that's something that Harry Heastan talks about that. Uh, he talked about Alex Bars, that they the Bears threw him in at center. Uh, in a game and he handled himself well. And a lot of it had to do with his background on the practice field. He spent like seven weeks of a season working as the backup center and got a lot of work there. So it would be beneficial to Patterson from that perspective 
you know, he's has so much experience at center. He, he would like to be the best center in the country, but uh, I think he'll do what's in the team's best interest and long-term it will certainly help him. Jumping into basketball a little bit, Grant Basile, the, the big man from Wright State, the Notre Dame, was zeroed in on. Tim, he chose Virginia Tech. And when yeah, you yeah. consider what Mike Young has done at Virginia Tech with his bigs, the team it's kind of hard beat. to – That's great. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's right. And, and Notre Dame's going to have to play against them. But kind of hard to argue with Grant Basile's decision to choose Virginia Tech over Notre Dame basketball. Uh, yeah, it's – they're – as Mike Bryce said, this is, you know, it was in retrospect after the season, but I believe he's talking to Solomon, you know, who do we have to look out for? I've been out of the ACC for a while. And he's like, it's Virginia tech, man. And he's like, what about Duke? No, it's Virginia tech and Virginia tech proved to be a, a pretty tough out. They won the ACC tournament. Then of course it does happen when you win your tournaments. He doesn't always translate to March, but boy, Virginia tech has owned Notre Dame now for a little while. And they got them on the, they got them in the off season too. Yeah, I can't fault anybody for going there. That's it. I was very surprised too, after losing buzz, buzz Williams, that they actually did not miss a beat. Really? I mean, I know. Just, and that, I, on from that. I think that speaks to the kind of coach that Mike young is. Yeah. I think he's just done a really, really great job there. And they're they've become an upper echelon team in the ACC now. And I, and every time, like, I, I think it was on a message board. I said, you know, you can't discount Notre Dame finished in second place in the ACC. It's like, well, you know as well as I do that the ACC's been down. We've been Tim, we we've been talking about that for three years. Yeah, but they still finished second in the ACC. You can't completely discount it. So it was a good year for Notre Dame. But Basile, I think it's difficult to argue uh, that because you know Notre Dame is 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 four round one basically, and and uh, Virginia Tech gives opportunities for big guys to play a little bit more. Just going to wrap up this segment with a comment on Notre Dame men's lacrosse who were left out of the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2005. Uh, I know a, a lot of our uh, Notre Dame lacrosse fans have been commenting on this on the message board. And, uh, you know, I was uh, having watched them against Duke. They beat Duke twice. They beat Duke twice and they beat UNC. Uh, only 16 teams make the NCAA tournament. I was really impressed with, well, the Kavanaugh brothers are outstanding uh, all season for Notre Dame and Jake Taylor's a, a young kid or a kid that, uh, really step forward for Notre Dame. Eric Dobson scored a couple goals late for Notre Dame to come from behind to beat Duke, but they were left out of the tournament. Notre Dame played great defense in the fourth, fourth quarter to, uh, to pull that game out, but, uh, or that match out, but um, that's it for Notre Dame lacrosse this season as Kevin Corgan, who's done a fantastic job in Notre Dame gets shut out of the tournament for the first time since 2005. Coming back, segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. This is segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from David Lopez five. You mentioned on the last podcast that this new staff spends an enormous amount of time in recruiting. Most people seem to think this is a welcome change, but are you at all worried that this may take away time from player development? I am not, but I don't, I don't look at it as a out of bounds question because I used to think 
is Notre Dame preparing adequately for USC this week with all the recruits coming in? I admit having that thought 10 or 11 years ago, but that's not when they're putting their time right now, the staff into recruiting. They're putting their time in when they have time to do it. It's been an off season the entire time, including the spring. You, you can, you can focus on recruiting in the spring. Now, right. if we hear about Clemson weekend, all the coaches on the road story, I'm going to be kind of concerned. There's coaches <laughs> on the road that weekend, but, but you will, you'll hear it for UNLV week. Right. You'll see that for UNLV. We there, have some coaches on yeah, the road. There won't be coaches on the road during Clemson week. No, just no, to clarify. Not. Yeah. But you, you might do it for UNLV week. I mean, they've done it in the past for, for, and I mean, sometimes it shows they were on the road for ball state week and it showed. So I guess there can be a little thing there, but that's just, that's part of it, man. You, you have to yeah. take any time you can. And that is Marcus Freeman's focus. This is a time of year where we're not, not right now because it's graduation and all that, but right. when they come back in June player development, is Matt Bayless and his staff. And, and when they go out and throw the football around on the field and do what they do on the field, there is a, there's a pattern to what they do. It's not just haphazard. So I, I don't, I mean, Kevin, what's your perspective on this? I player development is not impacted. No, no. I, this. I, my take is I can't imagine it would be an issue either. And I, I think like, I mean, I don't know I, what the coaches day-to-day schedules look like, but it's not like, Hey, I need to recruit more. So let's take some time out of this coaching block and that development block. No, it's, you just work more. And when you're a first year head coach, you're, you're burning the midnight oil. You're working late nights and that. I think it all just, you know, gets chalked up to working more. And also you're bringing up Matt Bayless with development. Of course you have support staff as well. And when maybe he can't, you know, put a certain amount of time in recruiting one day, well, that's why he has, uh, guys like Chad Bowden and Dre Brown and support staff, right? So, no, I don't think it's an issue. Yeah. Now, uh, Marcus Freeman, uh, he was at the lacrosse, speaking of lacrosse, this is now twice we've mentioned lacrosse and it's never been mentioned before in a previous podcast, but Marcus Freeman was at the lacrosse game Saturday. Not surprising. Hey, but Nick, he was Nick on Acello, the phone. Nick Asello was probably mentioned on a podcast. There's a lacrosse player. Okay. Right there. there you I go. And then, and uh, Marcus Freeman was on his phone while he was at the lacrosse game. So I'm sure it was recruiting related. We're going to put two questions together. First one from Icy Gold. A few podcasts ago, you guys alluded to a potential departure in the portal. With the deadline to leave having come and gone, do you think Notre Dame is out of the woods with departures? Also, at what point do Reese and Freeman start scouting the Notre Dame track team for wide receiver help? And then a question from Jay Bolt 250 is the talk of Eli Raritan playing wide receiver just talk or an actual possibility given the lack of portal wide receiver options? I don't think they're out of the woods, but I did expect a that one week post-spring game to May 1st there to be an announcement or two. Just I'm, I'm not saying we focus on a player like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That guy's going to – he wants to play somewhere else that's transferring. But they probably got a little bit of a bump in participation and sticking around because of the, uh, the feeling around the program right, right now with Mark. Now would you, yeah, Tim, could you explain again? And you touched upon this last Monday, but the may one deadline is very fluid. Yeah. Waivers are just so easy to get. And, and Kevin could talk about this as well. It's, I mean, you have guys last year, there are examples in a 24 seven story. I believe it's written by Brad Crawford. I'll, I'll check that. Um, there's guys that transferred in August and they started for their team in the season opener. It, it's not, it's no hard and fast rules right now. Uh, the NCAA's never been good with those anyway. We, we just <laughs> joked the last guy to get screwed was Alohi Gilman <laughs> and the Irish in 2017. I'm sure, I'm sure there's more, but it's, 
I will say I'm surprised that Notre Dame did not have a official portal entry. I don't think they're out of the woods with that. I think they're what, what's the difference? What's the opposite of being out of the woods when you absolutely need someone to come into They're They're, they're caught in a thicket. Bur- <laughs> they no buried chance. in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Buried in the woods. Yeah. I think that, I think like, yeah, with the, with the transfers, I mean, you look at the, the depth chart in certain positions and there's bits of bits of log jams um, starting to form in certain places in the trenches, maybe a little bit of cornerback in terms of, you know, guys who aren't happy about being fourth on the pecking order, of course. Right. And then you, of course you're looking at the number one recruiting class coming in. You gotta, you gotta think there's some guys um, looking at that. And then of course, like, like O'Malley, you do a great job at the transfer portal um, happenings in that and understanding how it all works. And, you know, we were saying before, you know, those waivers and like being able to play right away, we used to have to wait for a decision on that. And now it just more, more so feels like a formality, like it's a given. Uh, I don't know if there's a paperwork that you have to uh, put in for that sort of thing, but it's, it, everything's just approved now. It's just how it is. So the May 1st date um, matters less, of course. Um, so that's how I feel about tra- uh, transfers, certainly not uh, out of the woods, as you said. Well, and as it relates to uh, getting help from the track team at wide receiver, I think, <laughs> I think a track participant would, would have to come to Notre Dame as opposed to Notre Dame saying, hey, you got any wide receivers here and you're among your sprinters. I don't think it would work that way. We would have known about this by now. With regard to Eli Raritan, Kevin, maybe you can check with Raritan if Notre Dame's talked to him about uh, wide receiver. And again, we're not, I'm not suggesting that he moves there full time, but I can virtually guarantee you that you're going to see Michael Mayer split wide to the boundary side on occasion yep. because he's so capable of getting open. And I just think that Eli Raritan, Kevin, how big do you say he is? I mean, he's almost yeah. six foot seven now. Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, I think he's got a lot of wide out characteristics in his game and it just makes it's a good question because uh, uh, no, nobody, nobody from Notre Dame has told me specifically they would do that. I just thought that that's a guy that is kind of a, a tweener between a tight end and a big wide out. You have six yeah. tight You have six tight ends. You could cross train one at wide receiver without ever saying the word move. Right. Right. Yeah, he's um I heard he was somewhere between like six six and a quarter inch and six six and a half inch. So he's huge. And I think, like I said before, I think people are gonna really he's gonna really turn heads just with his physical uh, you know, what he it looks like. He's huge, he's long. And then also I remember um uh Bill Pullian saying to Raritan's dad, who told me this, that if Eli was on the team right now, he would have the biggest hands on the team. Um, that's including like guys like Joel Blake, his huge hands. He's fast. Um, I, his 40 yard dash time. I can't, it was, I think it might've even been in the four sixes. Like he is a, he's a freak athlete, but again, you, as you were saying, Tim, not adding him to the wide receiver position, but maybe first off has to be healthy. He tore his ACL. I'm told that like, as a fact that he's like, very surprisingly almost freakishly bouncing back from that ACL injury so he's going to be uh, capable to play right away um but also I think he'd be more of a, a pass catching tight end not actually yeah. move to receiver right. position nope. there is no that. way with Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator who threw to Tyler Eifert the all-american tight end that caught four touchdowns as a boundary receiver year he won the Mackey award that he doesn't look at Raritan and Michael Mayer yep. and Kane Barong who's a fast player yeah. and Holden stays who's a good athlete and thinks to himself I just found 150 snaps 
at wide receiver for my tight ends. Stays yeah. is a good receiver too. And that's worth noting. And um, the Polynesian ball, I, I watched that game closely and put a breakdown together. He had several catches in that game and, and impressive ones. And he's another guy with just those massive hands, really inviting target. Um, I know that he's trimmed down. I talked to him recently. I think he said he was 223 pounds. So he's, you know, he's more in the uh-oh, sort of mold of a moving, moving cart. <laughs> yeah. So he's, you know, and he, he works regularly with, uh, Terrence Edwards, who's, you know, very good receiver trainer. Um, he sounds like he's going to be in really good shape in terms of potentially being ready to go right away. And he's healthy. And I would still, I would add as we move on to the next question that, you know, I still think Notre Dame's going to get a wide receiver, mm-hmm. at least one wide receiver in the portal oh, yeah. as, as whatever, whatever we view in the portal and say, Oh, wow. I don't know that there's a guy there. There's going to be a guy there that they're going to eventually sign that they believe can help them as a most likely a bigger whiteout mm-hmm. question from bill v 6118 will the kicking game both punting and place kicking be notre dame's achilles heel in 2022 any optimism or thoughts on coach mason i really like coach mason it's all optimism right now i, I think they will have really good run teams and he is he also has the edict from the head coach to make special teams the fabric of the team for the first time in a long time. That just didn't exist with Brian Kelly. Kelly used to joke about the special teams on occasion. Kelly had a few good special teams, and they were all in reaction to a terrible one the year before. He had a really good 2015 special teams just because he called their kicking game in 2014 joke of a kicking game postseason. I mean, but I'm not sure Brian Mason has much to do with the punting and kicking. Yeah, that's his is more coverage and everything and else, everything that goes stuff. about it and finding the right fit everywhere else. But it's he doesn't really make your punter a kicker that much better at this age. They're they're veterans too. I mean, he can make Blake Groupie that much better or John Sott when he comes into punt. Now he might be able to help the freshman, right? Yeah, I, I think I think Mason will probably be more involved with kicking and punting technique than Brian Polian or others sure. in the past. Is that fair? Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah. Um, first of all, Kevin, go ahead. Your comments on that. Well, I, yeah, I don't really have much to add other than what you guys just said. I, I just think one thing that kind of stands out is they have a bunch of competition there. I think that's one only silver lining within all of that added a bunch of specialists. There's going to be some competition when you have more bodies and more guys playing, have a more higher likelihood of someone just emerging. You know what I mean? Um, so we'll see if that happens. But yeah, the Achilles heel thing, it could be very real. And I just want to add one quick note. When I just realized this, when I was just talking about Eli Raritan and I said Bill Polian, I was I meant to say Bill Reese. Continue with the kicking talking. I didn't know if you actually almost asked you, did you mean Brian Polian? <laughs> no, I didn't. I okay, okay. All right, All right. Well, good for clarifying that. And I want to remind everybody, if you watch the Blue Gold game, Notre Dame's top two punters weren't, they're not here yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, John Sutton and, and Bryce McPherson yeah, will yeah. be kicking here in June. So the punting part of it. question post-spring. Yeah. Okay. Now kicking question. I do want to clarify because I made this mistake a couple of weeks ago and I've wanted to correct it. I said that Blake Groupie was a 60% field goal kicker at Arkansas state. That was incorrect. He was a 60% field goal kicker at Arkansas state from 40 yards and beyond overall, he was a 74.4% field goal kicker and under 40 yards. He was at 82.1%. So 
I mean, those are much better numbers beyond 40. That's probably going to be a challenge and six out of 10 is not quite what we're accustomed to. I don't think, although uh, door, you know, had some inconsistencies along the way, the last, the last couple of years. So, uh, so I, you know, I mean, punting, I, we have to wait and see. They didn't, we didn't see their punters this spring. Next from Andy Fan 8 which uncommitted recruit that Notre Dame is in the mix for would you most like to see the Irish end up landing? One caveat, of course, you can't pick Dante Moore. <laughs> I'm going to pick him, but that's fine. <laughs> well, you know, receivers, receivers, receivers. Um, I'd like to, I'd like them to pick Zay Flowers from Boston College. Although <laughs> Zay Flowers killed two has, birds with one stone, <laughs> has turned down uh, apparently up to six hundred thousand dollars in NIL to stay at Boston College and. A lot of people would say that he's crazy. Um, some people would say good for him for being loyal to Boston College. But as it relates to uh, wide receiver, you know, I would look towards wide receivers as far as the recruit that you would like Notre Dame to land. Jaden Greathouse would be a good one. Yeah, uh, I just mine. saw a film of Tyler Williams, Kevin Sinclair, and I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily realistic for Notre Dame, although – He's in their top 10, I believe, but damn, yeah. <laughs> he, look, he looks pretty, too, pretty good too. About six foot three out of Lakeland, Florida. And looks like Clemson or Georgia are in the lead for him, but great house, you know, Tyler Williams, Rodney Gallagher, Notre Dame's well positioned for him. And I know you recently wrote about Joshua Manning. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, if I were to have to pick this, given the need at the position, I would go with Jaden Greathouse myself. Just a quick side note on Tyler Williams. He had never played the wide receiver position until about nine months ago. He is a stellar point guard. He was like a college level point guard who was a quarterback. He transferred into the school he played at this last season in late August, just before the season, they decided to go with a different quarterback and they plugged him in at receiver. And then he saw what he did. So he's only getting started, but yeah, Jaden Greathouse would be my pick. Tyler Williams is the best way I could describe it, a better fit for Notre Dame than most people would uh, realize at first glance, uh, 4.0 GPA student in that. It's all about whether he's going to visit. If he sets up a visit, he'll be more um, you know, likely, of course. Um, hasn't visited yet, so we'll see what happens there. If it wasn't Jaden Greathouse, I would say Christian Gray. Of course, they don't have a cornerback anymore. Um, Christian Gray is a true sub-4-5 cornerback with great size, um prototype build uh perfect fit for notre dame great student great kid that would be where i'd go with that and if i had to go like one more uh i would go with monroe freeling just a huge fan of him as a tackle um i think there's just a really high likelihood of him panning out to be a quality left tackle but yeah great house then gray then freeling o'malley in addition to dante moore i mean that's that i was about to say Kevin, you've, you've talked me into Tyler Williams as my second one after great house with, <laughs> with that conversation, but is, is he more likely to visit if say, I don't know, the quarterback we're not allowed to mention. I would say, part so. of the class. I think every receiver would be more likely to yeah. visit if Dante Moore yeah. is there. Yeah. He is Tyler Williams is a, is a Clemson like receiver. I is just not? Looked, I literally looked at him and yeah. thought to myself, well, that yep. guy's going to be on Clemson anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter how much. <laughs> no, I mean, long and lean and Florida great get off and separation. Now, right? And yeah, really good. Uh, I just peeked at him this morning like, yo, that'll work. 
that would definitely work. Question from Terry Benedict. When it's all over, who will have a better career in the NFL? Kyle Hamilton or Harrison Smith? Such a tough one. And it's like, for me, I, I hate to say it because, I mean, Kyle Hamilton, I is probably a better athlete in the size and the prestige coming out of college. But look what Harrison Smith has already accomplished. Like if, if Kyle Hamilton meets all of that, that'll be incredible. And he's probably talented enough to do it. But I would just have to say Harrison Smith, given what he's already accomplished and he's still got more to go. Yeah, I mean, that's a tremendous question. I in no way want to devalue what I think Kyle Hamilton will do, but you need to promise good health too, because Harrison Smith's a rock out there, right? He's been a captain for a long time. He's an AP player of the year voting, what, four, three or four different times. He's a six, seven-time pro bowler, 30 picks, big plays, causes fumbles, recovers fumbles. He's as solid as they come, too, as a quarterback back there. I would not bet again if you just told me Kyle Hamilton gets to play eight years and he doesn't have a string of injuries that are hurting those years. I wouldn't go. I think Kyle Hamilton's going to be a phenomenal hybrid NFL defensive player that plays different position than Harrison Smith. Almost. It's almost a different position. He'll play than just safety back there running the show. I think he's a, he's a weapon more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't none of us are in a position to disparage Kyle Hamilton, but Harrison Smith is the first ballot hall of famer right now. He's a hundred. I'm just looking now. He's 145 games played. And these are the games. These are the games he played after his second year. I forget the injury. Actually, he played eight games, but other than that, it was 16, 16, 13, 14, 16, 16, 15, 16, 15. Those are the games he plays. That's amazing. At, at that level. It, because he's it, not tailed off. That's it really is. I mean, I, he is, and and Harrison Smith is a steady personality. Doesn't get, yeah. you know. I mean, he hair. I have as much respect for Harrison Smith as as any guy that I've covered at Notre Dame. I mean, he's in a large group of guys that that deserve that that right. those kind of accolades. But I got. I mean, I Kyle Hamilton should have a great career in the NFL. We all feel that way about him, but. Harrison Smith is already a first Bella hall of famer. So I'm going to play the odds and say that, you know, let, let's put it this way. If Kyle Hamilton, what, what, how is the question worded better career? If he has a better career, he'll be a first Bella hall of famer before Harrison Smith was a first Bella hall of famer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, it would be pretty he, impressive thing. Huh? Yeah. They would both yeah. be two of the greatest safeties in the history of the NFL. If that, if that happens mm-hmm. question from Brian seven thirty nine in a podcast last August, you commented that you had seen really good, a really good trick play in practice. We're going to reveal it here now. O'Malley. Yeah, I think people are, did we do see it? it anyway. we did we see it last season or is it still in the arsenal? Was it Avery Davis option pass for a touchdown? The answer to that question is no, it was not an Avery Davis pass for a touchdown. Go ahead and explain it to him. It was a read option handoff to Kyron Williams, who then had Chris Tyree coming in motion behind him, and they ran the option to the field side, and it looked awesome. And everybody it was like, it what? What did we, what did, did we not just have worked see? better? Yeah, it worked beautifully. Like Tyree was flying by the time he got the ball. It was a great pitch. Kyron Williams is jumping up and down in appreciation of his own pitch. So uh, no, it was something I really, really thought we were going to see. I don't know how we didn't see it. I think Tommy Reese 
apparently was toying with us because they, they never ran it again, I guess. Well, yeah, no, it was repped enough because they, they ran it perfectly. So, well, maybe we'll see it this fall. And I don't think that we tipped anything for anybody. I, I think people started letting be... this leak around too. I've, I've heard some. Demand. Oh, really? Yeah, that missed the, okay. they missed the uh, the deal to not reveal what we saw because they didn't okay, attend, well they then... didn't attend the post practice press conference. <clears throat> he kind of jet out instead of attending the. We were all at the press conference, and he's kind of like, yeah, you might want to keep that one under wraps. But I don't think everybody was at the press conference for that one. So if anybody, if there's a team on Notre Dame's schedule that is prepared for that based upon what we just revealed, then shame on us. But I think we're I think we're pretty safe on this. Well, now they have a reverse going the other way, Tim. We've actually just set it up for a better touchdown. Beautiful. Tommy (laughs) Reese will will make the adjustment from there. (laughs) Drew 2000. It's graduation graduation weekend for Notre Dame seniors. BK's daughter is graduating. I would imagine he'll be back on campus. But what a weird experience for him coming back. Will BK say hello to any of the former staff in the Goog, Marcus Freeman? I mean, obviously he'll be here. His daughter's graduating from Notre Dame. I hope that he's here for his sake and their family's sake. Will he go to the Goog and sit? No, (laughs) no, I don't see that happening. No, I think he will probably, if he hasn't talked to Freeman since it all went down in early December, I bet he would text Freeman. I'm on on campus, you know, let's catch up sometime. Something yeah, I mean, lines, has like, has Marcus Freeman uttered Brian Kelly's name since he was named head coach publicly? No, I, no, I can't. Think Kevin, of. have you heard him say not that? that? Not that I can think of. No, and I would just say with this, like awkward situation. Yes, but to you know, if they were to cross paths, whether when they were there in whatever fashion, I mean, I'm sure it would be a friendly connection. Like at the end of the right, day, right. the animosity toward Brian Kelly shared by a certain portion of the fan base. You know, it's certainly not shared by the coaching staff, I'm sure, especially in an in-person meet. They work together. They're well, professionals. Not by Freeman. Um, yeah. I mean, no. Freeman didn't diss Kelly at all for coaching no. and being the head coach. He might be. That might be hard feelings with Reese and Kelly, of course. Right. Um, but but Reese Marcus insists Freeman that that's owes, not the case. Marcus Freeman has the best job in the world because Brian Kelly left it. I mean, they weren't going to fire Brian Kelly for Marcus Freeman. They can't be that upset about it. <laughs> Thanks, mm-hmm. Coach. What else do you say? What do you see Brian Kelly right now? This is pretty fun. I'm a, I mean, I, I, like, yeah, animosity, I don't think that really applies. Now, if there's anything that Marcus Freeman, you know, would look upon Brian Kelly and say, damn, you could have done, you know, he would probably say, well, you could have recruited a little bit harder, you know, but he could have taken some of the burden off of me while I was D.C., but no, I mean, I, but still, I don't, I don't expect Brian Kelly. He's not going to make himself real visible on campus. I would imagine no. if he were to go to the Goog, they would be, I would be weird bit, to me. That would be weird. Yeah. To me. Or that would be strange. That that makes no sense. It really doesn't. I mean, if there's anybody in the Goog that he wants to talk to, he's already talked to him via phone. You don't have yeah. to do it in person, but interesting question. And that's just our opinion on that. Uh, we're going to wrap up with, are Double these questions. our last two questions? Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. From uh, E.S. Heiler, I believe it is, and that is given Coach Freeman is a first-time head coach, it seems reasonable to expect the unexpected as he learns and grows. If you had to choose, what's your most likely unexpected win, unexpected loss, and unexpected storyline for the 2022 season? Let's go ahead and start with that one, Tim. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one for unexpected win. I mean, there's only 
two where they won't two or th- well, three maybe because it's a road game but they wouldn't be yeah, I mean, favored. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I think I guess Ohio State's the only unexpected win. Right, I would, I would right. Be able to say so that would be. I I think they will beat sight unseen. Everything else, if I had to bet one, I'd say yeah, they'll beat Clemson. Fifty one percent chance right now, right? They'll beat Clemson. Uh, whereas I wouldn't say they'll beat Ohio State sight unseen from from this moment forward. So that would be the unexpected win. Unexpected loss. Do you go? I guess mine's mine's Boston College. I would BC was the first one that I was going. That I'm not saying. We're no, predicting it's that, but it's, it's yeah, we're yeah, yeah, but it's like, you know, Phil Jerkovic, a rejuvenated Phil Jerkovic, home in a much better headspace yeah. than he was when he left. Coming off Navy too, yeah. You know? And looking ahead to USC, the finale as yeah, well. There's a yeah. lot of it. Those things in senior play. day. There's a lot that goes. On. I mean, they played some bums on senior day recently, so they've been fine killing <laughs> those teams. But this will be the best quarterback they played on senior day in a very long time. Um, that's that's got to be mine yeah. unexpected storyline is tough i mean you un, the only unexpected thing would be a weird three and two start or something like that right you're not gonna just the way the schedule's set up things go wrong it's probably our next question you see here from caden nine and three with two wins over ohio state clemson trio is that a good first season for freeman that adds a two weird losses so that's strange well uh yeah that would mean byu you in at north carolina yeah. now that now that sam howell's gone you think okay, okay let me tell we've you they got beat them ohio state. they beat ohio state and clemson but they lose to byu north carolina and usc i that's not something people are signing up for right now right no and i yeah and i just i don't know how to i don't know how to say this without it probably being misinterpreted i realize he's a first-time head coach but you know, again, it goes back to why I thought that he should at least mention Brian Kelly when he was named the head coach because Brian Kelly left him in a really good situation, a really good situation talent-wise. The adjustment that Notre Dame has to make this year is more first-year head coach than it is replacing players. I realize they're short at receiver and they're inexperienced at quarterback. I get that, but I mean, I, I don't, uh, just to concede nine and three, cause he's a first year head coach. I think his talent level is better than that. I think 10 and two is a much more successful season than nine and three these days. And more so than on paper, just there's something, if you told me he went 10 and two and then he won the bowl game and it was, I guess if you're 10 and two, you get to a new year's six game. If you've lost to Clemson, Ohio state. Yeah, you should again. Yeah. Then, considering then the this is six a... game would be kind of ten, eleven and two. Boy, eleven and two sounds a lot better than ten and three as well. I'm sticking with my two losses. Yeah. A successful first season. Kevin, Kevin, what are your thoughts? Are, are we talking about the most unexpected storyline or whichever the one? Yeah, all of it. Whichever one you want. Well, you know, okay. Just very quickly, I had the same thing as you guys. Most likely unexpected win, Ohio State, because kind of who else, right? But most unexpected loss, I mean, aside from the most obvious, like what would be the most dramatically unexpected, like UNLV or Marshall, you know, I thought, of course, Boston College as well. Navy just before, always get, you know, beat up a little bit physically there, looking ahead to USC, the season finale, um, you know, Dracovic back, Flowers, you know, that was a obvious pick there most unexpected storyline I was kind of thinking about where like the biggest concern lies right now is is the passing game and I would say if 
you know, if there is a Notre Dame all of a sudden developed a really potent passing game, let's say Tyler Buckner came out and just blew everyone away with his passing attack. And all of a sudden, no one's really talking about the receiver group because Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis and Michael Mayer combined are just more than enough and so on and so on. I would just say like a real dynamic passing game, consistently dynamic, getting them big wins because it's dynamic. That would be a, a pretty unexpected storyline because I think they're you know looking at leaning on a running game until that kind of develops. I love it. I think that's a great choice where Notre Dame fans are saying that Notre Dame has they look at the multiple weapons they have at wide right. receiver. <laughs> and you know, I mean Braden Lindsay was really showing well in the spring. Maybe he's ready to take a, a consistent step forward on a weekly basis. Lorenzo Styles, we know, has a chance to be really, really good. Avery Davis getting back to where Avery Davis was has a chance to be good. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, then you mix in the, the, at least one of the top two pass catching tight ends in the country. Uh, that would be, that would be an unexpected storyline and a great storyline that learning. Does, does Tobias Merriweather maybe. Yes. You know, Tobias Merriweather, another one. Yep. We're going to wrap up today. Our next podcast will be a week from today, Monday, May 16th. Uh, I'm going to have to ask for a, a pass on Monday, May 23rd, and we'll probably have to push that one back a day to May 24th, but we'll address that next week when we get closer to that. We appreciate you joining us here for Iris Illustrated Insider, Kevin Sinclair, Tim O'Malley, Tim Priester, all of Iris Illustrated. Thanks a lot. <laughs>